and amen. Well, first of all, let me have you open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Now, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit on Galatians. We did mention Galatians was going to be um, a portion of Scripture that we were going to be looking at in January. But there's something in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, that I'd like for you to, to look at with me. Because as Paul is talking to the people in Galatia, Galatia is a region, it's not necessarily a city. We'll learn more about his, uh, his, his focus group and the people that he's talking to. But he, he makes a very clear point that I think that we need to look at, at least right now before we get started. And it's in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, and it says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. It was at just the right time. And as we talked about that last week, we talked about the times that we're in. We talked about how the, the darkness of this world was when, uh, was when Isaiah had prophesied about the coming king, the child that was to be born. It was during that dark period, the worship of Molech, the worship of, of idols, the worship of sorcery and idolatry and, and all these various things that were going on. And, and we tried to make a comparison, or at least I tried to make a comparison as what it was like back there to what it is now. And, and it was a very dark world. And, and even today, you start to think and wonder, why, is, why are all these things happening in the world as they are today? And what, one of the things that we're going to see this morning, and I hope you, you follow along with me, is that what God has done, He will move nations, leaders, He will move even wicked kings to accomplish His purpose. He will move people to do things in order for His purpose to unfold. Now, as we think about Christmas and we think about why Jesus came, most Children, especially that are growing up today, they'll tell you it's about Santa Claus. They'll tell you it's about presents and trees and lights. And my kid, my grandkids are so excited about it. And, and, and I remember one year when one of my daughters, I won't mention her name, uh, one of my daughters says, well, I don't care what you say, Dad, I still believe in Santa Claus. I says, okay, that's fine. Then we'll just let Santa Claus bring you your presents this year. How's that? And uh, well, wait a minute. <laughs> well, we'll see how he does. I'm going to get gifts for everybody else, but we'll let Santa just bring your gifts. And, and there seems to be, there are myths that they don't really have that, that much of a harmful effect. They really don't. And in the coming weeks, I'm going to talk about some more of those myths. But the myth that I think that have, many people have bought into, at least for Christmas, is that it has to be about gifts. That Jesus came for the gifts and for the giving and for the peace on earth. And all those things are true in themselves. Jesus does want to establish peace on earth. but That's not what happened. As a matter of fact, he caused more division than anything else. He does want you to be gracious and to give, but that wasn't his intended purpose as to come as a, as a child. His intended purpose was to be born was to die. Because without the cross, there is no Christmas. Without the crucifixion, there is no cradle. And, and without the blood being spilt, on the ground to redeem, as Paul had just said here, at just the right time, God sent forth His Son to redeem His people. To redeem means to pay for, to buy, to purchase, to give of Himself so that we wouldn't have to suffer and we wouldn't have to be cast out from all eternity from the presence of God. And so God not only used the rulers of that time to bring Jesus Christ into the world. But Paul makes a very clear statement when he says, at just the right time. Any time before that, 
probably would not have been a good time. Prior to that, 300 years before that, Alexander the Great was conquering nations. And he was, there was the battles and there was wars and all kinds of uh, calamities going on throughout the world. And Alexander the Great, finally, what he did is he, he got, him, got his armies together and conquered all of the known world at that time and made it one language, the Greek language. And he paved roads and he put garrisons and stations all over the place for safety and for travel. And, and it was at just that time it was at just that time that God sent his son into the world. At a time when travel was safe, at a time when the language was one, at a time when the people proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, that at that time is when God sent Jesus Christ to be born uh, from a woman, from a virgin. And we, we remember from last week that as the prophet had stated, this is going to happen in Isaiah chapter 7, that the virgin will have a child. And it was at this right time. Now, at this point in time, we got we to remember and look at some of the people that are involved. Most of the people that are involved in the Christmas story, we, we know. We know it's Mary. We know it's Joseph. We know it's Jesus, of course. We know it's the shepherds. And we see, sometimes see angels at pageants, and we see children dressed up as little sheep. And we see all these various types of plays that go on. But there's some very important people that had a crucial role in what God was doing. And I'd like for you, first and foremost, to open up your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And in Luke, we have the genealogy of Jesus a little bit later in chapter 3. And uh, the genealogy of Jesus... When, uh, when Luke plays it out, it, it seems to be from the standpoint of Mary. And, and, it, and it shows that Mary was the descendant of David. But in Matthew, we have the genealogy of Joseph, which also brings him to be from the descendants of David. Because out of the house of David, this child was to be born. This child was to come into play. But the first person that comes into play, and as we, as we start looking at the whole nativity scene, and the only two places that really show the nativity scene is Matthew and Luke. Of course, in John, we see that uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. And it, that's basically all we hear about the nativity of Jesus Christ. Mark, the same thing. The word came and it became a, a part of the world. And, and, but Luke and Matthew, what they do is they bring together the things that took place as Christ was being shared into this world. The first Christmas gift, the gift of Christmas. And at just the right time, and I'm going to read in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Inasmuch... As many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word had delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught." The very first thing that we see in the narrative of Jesus Christ is the person that's writing about Jesus Christ. Luke. Luke was a, was a Gentile. Luke was a, a doctor. He wasn't a disciple. Luke was a physician. The physicians didn't carry that type of weight that physicians carry today. They didn't have that much of an importance. They were seen as, well, snake oil salesmen, people that just passed on remedies and whatnot. And, and, and so Luke wasn't a very famous person. We don't know much about him except for the fact that, well, he, he walked around with Paul. 
He attended to Paul, and I can see why Paul would need a physician getting beat up all the time and uh, somebody to look after his wounds. And, and Luke was a companion of Paul, and, and Paul and Luke were traveling together. And, and what Luke was doing here is he put this gospel together. And he also wrote the book of Acts, by the way. And he wrote to Theophilus. Theophilus is, we don't, know, we don't know much about him either, but for some reason Luke felt compelled to give an accurate account. And as a physician, as a learned man, he took the, he did the best he could to get eyewitness accounts. And what we know about Luke is he did this tediously writing down notes and making sure he talked to everyone and took from everyone an account of what happened and how it took place. And this is why Luke was able to give us a pretty accurate description of what took place. Theophilus. It could be a person. Uh, Theophilus is like Theos. Theos is the name for God. And uh, Philo is the lover or love. And his name basically means the lover of God. And when you start thinking about the Christmas story, and you start thinking about where you fit in to these things that are taking place in this world, maybe some of you are like Theophilus, just wanting to know a little bit more. Maybe Theophilus, he's most excellent, had to be some person of importance, probably a government official. Most excellent meant some sort of a title where he was well-known in this community. And, and maybe some of you are, are like Theophilus, just, just want to know a little bit more about this Jesus Christ. Give me an accurate description. I want to know what Jesus Christ did. I want to know how he lived, but more importantly, how he died and why he died. I want to know what this means for me. I love God, but I just don't know Jesus Christ. I don't know exactly everything that's come across. I, from a little child, I've heard about God. I've gone to church. I've learned some things about God, but I just don't know all about this Jesus Christ. Why did he have to die? Why does the cross, what does the cross have to do with the, the cradle? How do those two come together? And as we come to understand a little bit later, we will see that it was really his death that he asked us to remember, not his birth. Do this in remembrance of me, which by the way, this week we will be postponing our uh, Lord's Supper until next week uh, because of, well, Ken wasn't here. But it, it is that one event, it is that one event that Jesus Christ said to remember, not his birth. But But some of you might be like, like Theophilus, wanting to know a little bit about Jesus. And some of you are probably going to be like Luke. I want to investigate. I want to know more about him. I'll take some classes. I'll read some more books. I will try to interpret some of the things that I see in today's world and what's happening and how to apply them theologically, not only theologically, but also in a sense where if you look at what's unfolding before you through the eyes of prophetic vision through the eyes of prophetic understanding on the end times, you'll see, be able to put things together. And you'll start to see that this is a time that we need to pay attention to. Not just Christmas, but this whole season and when we're in. This whole turmoil that this world seems to be going into. And right after this, Luke starts off by, in verse 5, he says, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah. Herod was a wicked king. Herod was a very jealous king. Herod had an inferiority complex. Herod was the type of person that didn't trust anybody. He didn't trust his wife, had her executed, didn't trust his kids, had them executed. He would just kill people just because. 
As a matter of fact, if you remember the story correctly, when the wise men came to Herod, they asked Herod, Herod, where is this king of the Jews? He says, really? (laughs) A king of the Jews? Let me know where he's at. Find him and get back to me because I too want to worship him, which he didn't. And when the wise men never came back to Herod, he had all the children from five years on down below executed in Bethlehem. Because of this jealousy, of this this understanding that he thought he was going to be the only king, he protected his kingdom. And so the time that this was happening, this was the king at that time. He was the king of Judea. He was the king of that area. And you start thinking about how God is using even King Herod to start moving his, uh, God's purposes forward. But he goes on even further than that. He goes on to say, Luke says, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Zechariah, common name. Zechariah, Yahweh has remembered. Zechariah is the one that, that God used to bring John the Baptist in to the, the scene of of Jesus Christ. Not much of a Christmas story, to be honest with you, but part of the nativity anyways. Him and, him and Elizabeth, both of this couple, older people, already in their ages, you know, thinking that God has forgotten them. God does not remember them. God has, has left them. Maybe you're like them. Maybe you're like Zachariah and, and Elizabeth. Maybe you're thinking, you know, my time will never come. You know, I've been waiting all these years and nothing's ever happened. Nothing's ever taken place. Maybe during this Christmas season you're thinking, you know, I should, I should probably hold on a little bit more. I should think about this, this situation that I'm in. Maybe you're kind of like Zachariah. Maybe you're kind of like Elizabeth. And there's another character that comes into play a little bit later in verse 19. And Zachariah said to the angel, well, actually, it goes on to say, now while he was serving as priest in verse 8, before God when his division was, only, was on duty, According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And I don't know if you understand the circumstances of the high priest that once a year, somebody would go in and burn incense inside of the temple. There were thousands of priests in Jerusalem at that time, thousands of these. And so they would have to cast lots to see who would go next. And it was Zachariah's turn. And it just so happens that that's the way God had intended it to happen. And Zachariah was there and an angel appeared to him. And it says here that, uh, that in verse 12, And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, when he saw the angel, and fear fell upon him. Verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. In this epiphany that, uh, this, that Zechariah sees, in this theophany that God himself, uh, angel, Gabriel himself, shows up in the presence of uh, uh, in the temple, in his presence, he shows up and he tells them, don't be afraid. I've heard your prayers. You think it's been a long time, but you know, God has been patient and he's going to show you exactly what it is that you're going to do. John, uh, John was born to these older parents. 
it is believed that Zachariah and Elizabeth had passed away. And so John was sent to a, a community called the Quamram community, which is by the Dead Sea. And this community was a type of community that, that lived on the, the, the land, on wild uh, fruits and vegetables and, and insects as, as far as locusts and honey. And, and that, that was just their, their lifestyle. They were very simple people. And that's where John came from, as you read a little bit later. And, and many times we think that, you know, there's got to be more. Well, there is more. But it's on God's timetable. It's not on yours. And it's in God's planning and not on mine. Let's turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In Luke 1, 26, the birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Some of you are probably like Mary, just wanting to worship God, wanting to connect with God. See, Mary was a person that was a young woman. She was committed. She wasn't perfect. Mary was a person that was wanting to do what God has called her to do. She was willing to submit. She says, I will do whatever it is that you want me to do. As a matter of fact, he goes on to, she goes on to say, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I think many people are looking for a sign or looking for a word from God or looking for something for God to just fulfill their life purpose. Mary was minding her own business. Mary was a young child. She couldn't have been more than 18 years old. Some people believe she might have been even 14 or 15. And scholars think that, you know, since she was a betrothed, she wasn't actually married. So she had no sexual relations with the man. But she was betrothed to Joseph. Joseph was a man that could have been a little bit older. Some say he had other children. But the, the fact is, is that they were betrothed. And so they didn't know each other, as the Bible has, tells us, that both of them didn't know each other until after the birth of Jesus Christ, meaning that she did have other children, which the Bible talks about. And we'll talk about that later. But the fact is, is that Mary was one of a young person, a young woman that was betrothed to a man, and God used her in a way to bring glory to himself. And he says, you will bring this son of mine into the world. Was she perfect? No. Now, there is a thought that she was what they call... Uh, it's that she was a perfect person, and she wasn't. Uh, we'll come to find out that nobody is perfect. No one is good. No, not nobody. Not one. And But Mary was used by God. And in the sixth month, when the angel came to her and sent from God, he came to this small city, a little city 
It wasn't a big city. It was just out of nowhere. Now, people would think, you know, why, why out of this whole city? It, it, but, but that's where God said that, she, that the angel, that Jesus Christ is going to be born and come out of. But that's not where he was going to be born at. God had to move nations. God had to move kings. He had to move the minds and the hearts of people to get Joseph and Mary to a place where they needed to be. Caesar Augustus in Luke chapter 2. Caesar Augustus in Luke chapter 2 verse 1. In those days the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of, and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. When we, when we start looking at all the governments and all the leaders and what God is doing, and we start looking at how they are starting to move them, or God is starting to move them to, to accomplish his purpose, you start to think, okay, so what, what does this person have to do? Why is, is Luke even writing about Caesar Augustus? There, there, are some, there are some points that Luke is making that somehow don't make sense to us, but it makes sense to the people that he was writing about. It's kind of like saying in today's culture that, well, it was the time when, when uh, the, the leaders of Russia and the leaders of Iran and, and the leaders of China, and, and you probably know their names. As you start thinking about these leaders, Putin and, and, uh, and, and Iran and, and all these governments, and, and even with, with our government here, the, the president of the United States, and all, all, all the things that are taking place, Everything that's happened up to this point in our world, with all these political leaders, everything that's taken place, in spite of what we think, in spite of how evil and how wicked it might be, God is using these political leaders to accomplish His purpose. In the same manner that He used these political leaders, these world leaders, to accomplish His purpose at just the right time. He took a very simple girl with a very not-so-famous person and a pastor or a priest that really didn't have much to offer, was, was shunned because he had no children. Elizabeth was, was really looked at like, you know, these guys must have done something wrong. They, they must have sinned somewhere for not to be able to have children. Priests are supposed to have children. They're supposed to have a lineage to be able to pass on their inheritance and, and, and their influence as priests. But this couple, they must have done something wrong because God didn't bless them with children. People that were shunned, people that were of no class, a little city, a little place of no, no significance. And then you have governors and governments and, and political powers all together God is using to accomplish His purpose. Beloved, you belong to that purpose that God is trying to accomplish. All these people, and, and we're just talking about a few and we haven't even mentioned the shepherds. We haven't even mentioned the wise men. We haven't even mentioned those that are around that during the nativity scene, the Christmas story, that God is using all these people to accomplish His one goal, to bring His Son into this world. Now, Christmas is a time that we get lost. We get lost financially. 
We get lost in buying presents. We get lost in just expending all kinds of, uh, just it's an expense that sometimes, well, of course, our marketing companies have taken advantage of. We have Christmas lights and presents and trees and, well, you name it. And, and please don't get me wrong, I, I'm, I'm just as guilty as the next person. I, I love Christmas lights. I have my house lit up. We've lit up the church. I, I love buying presents for my children and my grandchildren. I, I love having a Christmas tree. But we can't let Christ get lost in all the merchandising. We cannot keep Christ in the cradle. That's where most people want to keep him. They want to keep him in the cradle because that's as far as most people will go. They believe that Jesus Christ was born on Christmas Day, which we, I made a small argument last week that it wasn't necessarily on December 25th. But Jesus Christ was born. Don't exactly know the date, but he did come. He invaded this planet. Jesus Christ did come as God, God the God-man. And when he was born, he came not only for the season of Christmas, but he came with the purpose and the intent to die, to redeem. He did a lot of great things. He taught us well. We have his stories. We, he, he did a lot of healing, feeding. He did a lot of casting out of demons, a lot of rebuking and teaching, and all those great things. But all of that would be for naught if it wasn't for the crucifixion, but most importantly, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if it wasn't for the resurrection, the empty tomb, then everything else is, doesn't matter. But the, the whole purpose of this, the whole point of this today, is to help us all to realize where do we stand? Are we part of the political system? Some people are so involved in politics. Are we part of the spiritual or the religious system? Some people get so involved in religious activities. Or are we just a, say, a nobody? I think I'm not even important, like Mary or Joseph. Or are we a part of a bigger thing, a bigger plan that God has? God is doing something more in your life than you can ever imagine. As we go on through this, uh, the story, and we look and we see that in the same region, in verse chapter 2, verse 8, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The shepherds, by Bethlehem. God moved political leaders to get Joseph and Mary to the place where Jesus Christ needed to be born, out of Bethlehem. In Bethlehem was the place where Jesus came out of. In that vicinity, there were shepherds, shepherds that were watching sheep. Shepherds weren't very, I guess you would say it, very nice people. Or they were seen, uh, they, they were looked at or looked upon as very unclean people because they had to live with the sheep. They had to stay with the sheep, and, they, and they, they, were, they were constantly watching the sheep, not only at night, but all the time. 
And they watched these sheep, and, and these sheep apparently had some sort of significance. The, the sheep that were being watched were those that were used for the sacrificial system in Jerusalem. And apparently these shepherds that were watching the sheep were, were outcasts. Shepherds were looked at as people that couldn't come into the city because they were, according to the priests, unclean. They lived with the animals. And so therefore they were treated as such. And there are people in our communities, in our society, that are treated in such a way. Maybe you were part of that community. Maybe you felt as if, or you sometimes feel as if, you're not a part of the community that is to be accepted. Jesus Christ came for you as well. We can place ourselves in one of these positions, but Jesus Christ will use shepherds, the women, the the men. He'll use political leaders. He'll use religious leaders, not just the pastors, not just the church, but he will use every person that he can think of in order to bring his full plan to fruition. And right now, beloved, right now, more than anything else, God is lining things up. He's lining things up so that his second advent, the second Christmas, the second coming of Jesus Christ is preparing to enter into this planet. And when that happens, the one sign that's going to show that he has has already established his kingdom, or is going to start establishing his kingdom, is what we call the rapture, the taking up of the church. Christmas is a time to start thinking about Jesus Christ coming to the earth, but Christmas is a time to help us focus upon what God is doing on this planet. Just like he moved all these political leaders, he's moving things again today. And he has been, and he'll continue to do so until his perfect plan is done. And as we go through the rest of the story, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about peace on earth, goodwill towards men. We will talk more about uh, the national setting and what took place. We will talk more about our personal setting and on what each one of us are expected to do in order to be able to receive this Christ, the Christ, the anointed one, Jesus Christ, the gift that, that God sent for us. And in the process of this whole Christmas story, help us not to forget that it's not just, uh, help us not forget that it's about Jesus Christ. Let's remember that it's about Jesus, not just about the presence. Let me ask you to stand. I'd like for us to close. When the angels appeared to God, uh, to the shepherds. And when they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And they went away. The shepherds did one thing. They went, first of all, to witness what they've been told about. And then from there, they went with haste and they went and told everyone else. I don't know what happened to the sheep. I don't know if they ever went back to their jobs. But one thing I do know is that they had a new purpose in life. They had a new calling upon their life as not only those witnessing what they saw in in Jesus Christ, Joseph and Mary, but in what God had showed them in their heart and what it was for them to do. Each one of us have that same divine purpose to share what Jesus Christ has done for us in our life. Let's remember to do so this Christmas. Father in heaven, thank you again. 
for giving us this opportunity, this time, so that, that we can just share and to know just a little bit more about Jesus Christ. The birth, the importance of it, and why it's, it's more than just the presence and the lights. Father, I pray that we not lose sight of what Jesus Christ has done for us. I know that many people want to keep Jesus in the cradle, and that's why they want to keep him. But Lord, I pray that you help us to place him on the throne of where he is rightfully seated at your right hand. And so, Father, as Jesus Christ sits on the right hand of you, the Father, waiting for his return, help us to be ready to prepare. Help us to be set and ready to go. So thank you, Father, once again, just for this time that you give us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. May the Lord be with you.